Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Hassan with another episode of the Influence Continuum. Today we have a fascinating psychologist with us, and we're we're doing the first uh, topic of psychedelics, uh, or otherwise known as ethiogens. Um, but I wanted to, Rachel Harris, please, before I introduce you formally in your book, I just want to give a little frame in the background that I recently returned from San Francisco at the American Psychiatric Association Conference, and I was surprised, I shouldn't have been, at how many presentations involved uh, MDMA, ayahuasca, uh, psilocybin and other psychedelic medications for the treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder and other things. And it's clear that there is now much more emphasis going to trying to research, is there a way that these uh, powerful agents could be a tool to help people heal, which is the ethical frame of it. And of course, my Work. I've had people contact me because they've gotten involved with cults who were using ayahuasca or using psilocybin or LSD or MDMA in order to exploit and abuse people. And that is my topic. I was introduced to you, Rachel, by uh, a famous forensic psychologist <laughs> uh, who said, you really should interview Rachel. She's got this great new book out called Swimming in the Sacred. I'll hold it up several times. But first, I just want to give a little bit more background if my listeners are not tuned in to what's been happening and just say that uh, there are more than 30 million people now estimated in the U.S. that have used psychedelics, according to a 2010 national survey. I think there's a lot more. Uh, Best-selling author Michael Pollan wrote about his trips. The National Institute of Health is studying the efficacy of psilocybin and MDMA for treatment of PTSD, addiction, depression, and end-of-life anxiety. And, um, and Rachel, you are a PhD psychologist, author of this new book, Swimming in the Sacred, Wisdom from the Psychedelic Underground, and Listening to Ayahuasca. Rachel, you've been in private practice for 40 years, 10 years in academic research department where you have published more than 40 scientific studies in peer-reviewed journals, received National Institute of Health New Investigators Award. And um, you have your website for your book is swimminginthesacred.com. And, and Rachel, um, all I can say is that we have a lot of anxious, depressed, worried people about what's happening on the planet with our our environment, with 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 lies, and so many people are tuning out and going to psychedelics, thinking that it's going to help them know themselves or. Uh, that it's going to transform them. And because they don't have a frame to understand what is a good therapy and how to use it ethically, nor are they necessarily aware of real spiritual practitioners who've been using these agents, these, these, these medicines for decades, um, I wanted I wanted my listeners to learn from you and your wisdom uh, of your journey. You interviewed women who don't care about money. They're interested in love. They're interested in, in <laughs> soul growth, from what I understand, right? So you're well, laughing. I, I wouldn't say they're not interested in money. I mean, oh, they do okay. have to survive. <laughs> okay. Well, but they're they, not but they, selling. They didn't. No, you, they didn't no, say they, Rachel will teach you if you if you pay us money. No, they're they're really very dedicated. Seriously, they're very dedicated. They've dedicated their lives and they've risked their lives. I mean, let's face it. My criteria for inclusion in the study to be interviewed, and the book is based on in-depth interviews. Mm -hmm. My criteria to be included was that they had to have at least 20 years of experience underground. Mm. Mm. But most of them had 30, 40 years. The eldest of the elders is now about 90, wow. and she's been working since the early 60s. And, and just to give you a sense of the, the ethical commitment, is the eldest, it's the eldest of the elders. She says, 
Because there's a lot about in the pre- preparation for a journey to, to clarify your intentions. What do you want to accomplish during? So her statement is, we are responsible for our intentions and our choices, responsible to ourselves and to humanity. So there you hear a very high, <clears throat> excuse me, a very high level of ethical concern that it, th- these medicines are not just about individual healing, although that's highly valued. It's also about how can we make a difference in the world. Mm, right. So it's not about <clears throat> selfishness and, you know, each person is an island. It's realizing we're interconnected beings with ourselves and others <clears throat> and our environment. I'll- I'll read you another quote. Please. There's a bigger message coming from the medicine, larger than individual psychological healing. So the, these, this is from the underground. This is they have a very different perspective, um, in contrast to the the research teams, which are mostly at medical institutions, mm-hmm. and and so there's a very big difference. Uh, and and as you pointed out, the the underground women have been sworn to secrecy. I'm the first person that they've really welcomed and talked to and opened up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and this is not a how-to book. It's, you know, I'm not, I'm not, it's not based on transcripts of the interviews. I try to um, identify themes after my long conversations with people. And, you know, it was hours and hours of talking to many of the women I'm I spent a long weekend with one woman. I mean, some interviews were an hour, but mm. most of them were much longer. I would go back and ask questions. And um, and they have a very different orientation than the research teams. And my position is both are needed. We, right. need, the, we need the hard data. You know, I had 10 years in a research office. Right. I, I'm, I'm very excited about the hard data and how I think it will transform psychiatry. But I don't want to lose the wisdom, the spiritual orientation that these women really have sustained. And one woman said, even if these medicines become legal, I will continue to work underground because that's where the sacred container is. So Mm. you get a sense of their lifelong commitment to this process of working with these medicines. Mm -hmm. And in, in understanding how these women work, they are journeying with a person, being a guide, using their intuition, using their body wisdom, and really doing their best to enable the person they're guiding to have deep, profound, spiritual openings or developments. Yes, yes. Did but I let, say let it me right? just clarify. Yeah, that's, that part is good. But when you say journeying with the person, let's just be very clear that the women in the position of a guide or a sitter, right? they are not under the influence. Thank you. Let's be really clear about clear. that. Be- because some people are saying, some of the new sitters or so-called psychedelic therapists are saying, well, I need to have a, a small dose of medicine in me in order to travel with the person I'm sitting for. And my position is, no, you don't. One person should be straight, just for starters. Right. And and also, if you have enough experience with these different medicines, you can travel there without the medicine. You can right. accompany the person intuitively because you know the territory. You do not need uh, even a little bit of the medicine. You don't need it. Right. And so I don't guess- don't work with anyone who says they're also going to take some. That's a big Bottom red line. flag, in other words. So, yes. and and you really need to check people out. Well, you know what what's their background, what's their training, and have they have they worked with anyone who has you know strong ethical guidelines? Um, like, like for example, hypnosis is everywhere on the internet, and and it's not always called hypnosis. Guided visualizations, guided meditations. I've studied hypnosis clinically and formally for forty plus years, and I can tell you, going into an altered state makes you more 
concentrated and your attention is narrowed, but you're more susceptible to suggestions. So whoever is doing the guided work, if they're not a clinician with strong ethical guidelines and they have an agenda to recruit you into QAnon or (laughs) make you believe you're a space alien or that you live together, you are married together in a past life. You can't believe how many clients I've had have been told that number. Uh, we were oh. married in our past life. Oh. Uh, uh, yeah. Chad Daybell said that to Lori Vallow. She just got convicted of murdering her children. And when they first met, he said to her, you know, we were, we were married in a past life. And she bought into. In any case, I don't want to digress too much. But yeah, I'm trying think, to, to yeah, make a, a I've parallel. I've heard bad stories in the psychedelic world, but I haven't heard. Hasn't gotten that bad. Right, um, but I, I just want to make a parallel. As a clinician, I I got licensed in 1985. What what they didn't teach me in school was to really be a good clinician. I need to be in therapy. Like I need oh, to. Oh well, let's talk about. I that. need to be in therapy with lots of different people <laughs> with lots of different methods in order to grow myself, in order to become wise, in order to then really be able to sit with someone who's in pain and assist well, them in a true let, way. Let me clarify for starters. Please, the women are more like priestesses. They are really not therapists. One or two of them happen to be licensed, okay. but they keep their underground work really separate. So they are more like high priestesses, if you don't mind the pun. So this is very different. Yeah. And um, and just in conversation with one of them, I mentioned to them that not all psychotherapists have had their own therapy. And she was horrified. How could that be? How can they do therapy if they have not worked on themselves? And I had to explain, it's not always required in a graduate program or to be licensed. So I want to be very clear. These women have worked really in depth on themselves before they did anything with anybody else. And they used the medicines to do their own work. And many of them have been in therapy. Mm -hmm. And, And they are not doing therapy with people. They are doing sitting. They are doing guiding. They're doing the sacred work of the journey. They're not doing long term integration or so if somebody has a journey with them, and they say, well, I had some issues come up. I'd like to talk to you about it. Most of them would say, either I'll refer you to someone who knows the territory, who's a licensed therapist, or we can do one more journey and see if that helps to clarify it. Mm. And that's sort of a shamanic approach. And that's it. Mm -hmm. They do not they do not take, they do not make those weekly appointments the way I assume we both did. I, you know, I was in private practice for almost 40 years. So they do not do that. So that's, that's one really important clarification. And they really spent years working on themselves. And even when they were like, I can give an example of one woman who, who did a shamanic apprenticeship, which means she worked six years with an indigenous Peruvian shaman. Mm -hmm. And at, at, at the point of six years, he says to her, you're ready to sing in the ceremony, which is what it, which is a, an important part of the healing process that they do in Peru. Of ayahuasca ceremony? This is an ayahuasca yes. ceremony. Thank uh-huh. you for clarifying. Sure. And she says, no, I'm not ready to sing. So she sits at his elbow, which is the definition of an apprenticeship. You, you are right at the elbow of the master. Mm. And he sings, and she sings a nanosecond right behind him. And so they are right next to each other, and he can say, did you see what happened in that person's body? Did you see that energy move? You know, they're comparing what they're seeing as mm. they're as they're in the middle of the ceremony. So, and that goes on for a year. Then and then she's ready to sing. And she's been practicing on her own independently for about 25 years now. Mm-hmm. But that's six or seven years before. Right. You know, the need is so great for psychedelic therapists now that we can't wait six or seven years. Mm. So people are being trained as psychedelic therapists with internet courses primarily. That's frightening. I knew you'd love that. Um, if they're <laughs> trained just in, plain <laughs> frightening. If they're if they're trained to do to work with ketamine because that's legal, then they can have access to a ketamine experience or two. Mm. But they are not really they they do not really know the territory of 
of these sacred medicines. They haven't had enough experience in all the different medicines at all different dosages and how it plays out in their own system and their own inner work. Mm-hmm. And when someone, when these, when these elders are sitting with you, it's their presence that's a major therapeutic factor. And that presence is the result of all the work and all the experience that they've worked so many years to, to bring into their own bodies and their energy field and how they know where, where you are when you're traveling. And you know, these, these journeys are done. The person has earphones on like I do. And mm-hmm. then ear shades, ear shades, eye shades. Mm-hmm. They're under a blanket often. So you don't have many therapeutic cues. You know, you can look at their forehead. <laughs> you know, you can't see very much. So you really have to sort of travel with them intuitively. Mm. And that takes, that kind of skill takes years to develop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm holding myself back from just thinking about my own therapeutic mode with clients, with sitting with them and asking them questions and just reading and just feeling yes. what think what I believe is See, where and even your use of your hand, you're sort of in, intuiting into their Oh yeah. Their, and I'm I'm yeah. I'm I'm just totally present with them trying to help them and i kind of in my psychology i try to enter their world of how how if they were raised in a cult and uh, as they're describing their experiences and i'm building a mental model but trying to be empathic in that experience with them sometimes i get it wrong but what i i guess what i why i'm bringing this up is just that I do a lot of work on Zoom now, but it's not the same as being the in same. the room. I know. Being present with someone, I agree. giving your full attention, not thinking of anything else, and just really supporting their own growth and journey to break through all of these phobias and, and traumatic experiences that they've had. Something's lost when yes. we're not. When when we, we when we lose that proximity and that energetic exchange between something is lost, I know I feel that too. Yeah, it's and amazing. we don't know how to measure that, so we just sort of ignore it because we can't measure. And that's a, a real yeah. problem with evi- evidence based psychology. And I'm like, okay, what's the evidence based criteria for love? But well, now, now you're in my territory. <laughs> well, but it, you you feel yeah. it when it's right. real. But how do you, you know? Please, you know. So you're. I really respect you tremendously. You're a psychologist who's also done this uh, journeying yourself. I believe as you've researched and and done these studies. Am I correct? Well, I I I, I had a head start. You know, I was. Uh... <laughs> When I graduated from college, I went to Esalen Institute in 1968. Right. So that's so, Big Sur? That's Big Sur. And yeah. there were plenty of drugs around. Mm-hmm. So I always had a psycho-spiritual kind of approach. So I was always out in nature. I never did, you know, the big rock concerts and everybody's taking everything. I never did that. Uh-huh. So I always had, you know, my own serious approach. But I had never done the protocol that's used where... You use music and you're really everything in the setting is to turn you inward to an inner journey. Mm -hmm. So when I realized I was talking to these underground experts, the elders, and I had never done a journey in the way that they do it, Mm -hmm. of course, I signed up. (laughs) You know, I immediately arranged one Mm. and I did um, a journey of MDMA. Mm -hmm. And what was what was really wonderful about it and new for me because of the 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 healing presence of the guide is toward the end of the journey, you know, and I'm very open. Uh, she spent about an hour doing an energetic clearing. This mm-hmm. is not something you learned in graduate school, I dare say, nor did I. Right. She used eagle feathers. She'd been trained by Native American adopted grandfather. She used different herbs and smells and and but an hour really clearing, you know, I'm just still under the blanket and she's working and blowing and mm. fanning and and it was wonderful. Mm. And that's that's the sort of thing that happens 
as part of the the, ther- the what we would call a therapeutic alliance, mm-hmm. but that's part of the value of having somebody sitting right with you mm-hmm. and working with your energy mm-hmm. in, in that very open time. Yeah, and I've learned the power of ritual uh, yes. can be so valuable. Um, and with my clients, whether they want to, you know, burn uh, an image of the cult leader who abused yes. them, or yes. you know, do any number of types of of um, reclaiming their personal power for their own um, moving forward to a new identity and finding out who they are, because that's one of the the typical things that I hear from people born in cults uh, and oh, read my yeah. books. And they're like, Steve, you were recruited at 19 at the Moonies. You got out of 22. You had somebody to go back to. Yeah. <laughs> that was a creative writing major. I was born in this. Who am yeah. I? What do I do? Yeah. And right. so it's really a very precious and I believe sacred um, uh, trust uh, that people place in me to help guide them and say, you do have an authentic self. You do have a, a soul. You have a spirit uh, and it's for you to c- uncover it, create it, uh, become this, the, 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 the best person you can possibly be to fulfill your, your life and give them hope for a future self. Yes, yes. So there, I have to, I, I want to talk about the problem inherent um, in the psychedelic uh, community at this point. Yes, please. Is, and because these are women who I vetted. Um, but how do you find them? I mean, I wrote about them. They're totally protected and anonymous. I'm not referring to them. Please don't ask me for a referral. Right. You know, my job is to protect them completely. Um, but there are lots of people. You, you, there's psychedelic coaching now, which, you know, just uh, my blood runs cold. Yes. Um, we, who knows what that is? There are lots of psychedelic therapists who were trained online for four to 12 months. And um, and for underground practitioners, there's no, there has not been an ethical code except what they themselves agree to. Mm. And I have to say, many of the women I interviewed were kind of organized and they, they would support each other and hold each other to account. Mm. So they were not individual practitioners totally off on their own. They had medical people who could help evaluate um, a prospective client because they do extensive medical interviews, questions about medical and psychiatric history, and can consult with a doctor. So don't go to anyone who doesn't do a comprehensive interview. Mm. Um, if there's, they're connected to therapists, licensed therapists, so they can refer out. And they're very experienced. One of the women I interviewed talked about a journey where uh, she realized she had an emergency on her hands. Mm. She took that person to the emergency room. Mm-hmm. Now, by doing that, she's, she could recognize this is serious and we have to go, but also she's walking in and confessing. Right. Now, she happened to encounter a simpatico ER doc. Mm-hmm. So he understood immediately. He didn't report her, but she had to be willing to take that risk. Right. To help now, another how, human being who is in yes. danger. So, but there's no way to enforce this. Mm-hmm. And if somebody is not licensed, then you don't even have a licensing board to complain to. Right. So there, this is a young community. There are efforts to develop ethical codes and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very young. And there is because the psychedelics do make people more open and susceptible There are risks, and there are especially risks uh, in in traveling to uh, remote, well, any kind of retreat center in South America. And and what I understand is that the the indigenous women, they already know not to be alone with a shaman. They go with a female relative. Mm -hmm. So there's already sort of a communal safety net that everybody knows that Western women didn't really know. 
Yeah, and, and I've heard of, of shamans I mean, are, having sex with vulnerable women. Who and are there pretty... are cases of shaman using different medicines to make the woman even more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So datura is a, a common medicine that can be used that way. It's a very powerful mm-hmm. plant medicine mm-hmm. that I, I would suggest most of us can do without. Does it's not really part of a traditional ayahuasca um, mixture. You know, Datora um, is something I believe Charlie Manson used on his followers well, before he sent them. Well, how advanced he was. Yeah, I'm not surprised to hear that. He was also involved with Scientology that the public doesn't know about, although Scientology no, I have not says heard that. that they're against drugs. But uh, but Manson was, a you know, a cult leader. Um, yes. I'm only thinking of him because Leslie Van Houten has been in jail for 57 years. And yeah, hopefully she's up get for out. parole. Yeah, hopefully. But um, so can I, as a psychologist, as as an experienced person who's researched this, we're starting to name specific things like don't yes. go to other Warning countries signs. alone. You know, if you're a woman, never be alone with a shaman that, you know, and how do you decide even what, where to go? for ayahuasca ceremonies. Well, it's, it's all underground information, isn't it? It's all who you know. Right. So how would the public understand that? So for me, I say don't do it unless you really <laughs> can vet, you know, go with someone that you know and trust who's, you know, um, vetted the the place. And, and, I, and I would say get as much information as you can and, and take your time and do a lot of networking. Yes. I did a, an interview and a blog post, uh, Rachel, on uh, psychologist abuse, coach abuse, therapist abuse, with like what you should know, what 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 are okay behaviors and what are not okay behaviors right. and questions. Right. And it does anything like is that something you would ever consider writing up, or you know? Well, offer? I'd love to see what I'd love to see what you're describing. Sure, there, it's on my there website. Is, there, they're, but I'll send you a link. Yeah, I'd love it. Um, they're just beginning to talk about this. But it's very difficult without legal ramifications. Right. Without the threat. I mean, there has to be a, a consequence. Right. So if if I'm not licensed, who cares? Right. And, and what psychedelics have that I guess cult leaders do too uh, is this element of inflation where they feel... I mean, I don't want to get political, but where they feel entitled, overly entitled. So there's an inflated ego. And well, for instance, here's here's an example. Please. Um, a, a friend of mine confronted one of the shaman who is well known for abusing Western women. Mm. And she confronted him about it. And his response was, and this is a man who's 70 years old. He said, but it's so easy. So there you have the narcissism and the pathology right there. It's uh, She's confronting him, and he's like, oh, but it's so easy. Right, and no so, accountability, no, no conscience, accountability. no empathy, no awareness go. that he's causing harm. He yes, doesn't care. Exactly. It's about yes. his pleasure and his power. Yes. So there, there is a, a, a nonprofit organization that has developed a code of ethics for spiritual leaders. Do you know about that group? No, I can send please you, share. I'll send you a link to that group because it's 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 a highly, I think it's called Ethics and Spiritual something. Okay, um, well, we're going to do a blog based on this interview we'll and include on. the video yeah. and we'll add the link for people who are listening Great. to the podcast. And, Great. And, but, yeah. um, you know, I'll just say for me, I've been doing this for 47 years after my Mooney experience. And I'm like, love, honesty, accountability, transparency, being willing to admit if you screwed up and and surround yourself with not, yes, people, but people who will actually hold you accountable. Yes. And, and, yes. and having those checks and balances in place. And that's why there's a value to have licensing boards to at least have a place to, you know. Yes, has and, and, and I'm really saying it's a buyer beware market yeah. and we don't have those, those um, 
control board. We don't have that safety net yet. Right, right. And uh, so tell us more about how it's useful with people who are facing the end of their life uh, and having anxiety. Well, that's, and- that's the research study that's that's been done at NYU. Please share. <clears throat> and and so the psychological term that they the diagnosis that they were treating was demoralization. Kind of when the person who's been given facing their own mortality, you know, turns their face to the wall and and really doesn't want to talk to anybody. Mm. So in the time they have left, they they're not really living. They lose, you know, they're not able to connect to the people they love. They are just morose mm. and and suffer more pain. So with one psilocybin experience they are better able to remain connected to their loved ones, hmm. to use the time well that they have left, and to uh, face their own mortality with greater acceptance and less fear. Now, that's a huge outcome. Yeah. I mean, one thing the, the psychedelic researchers have done is they've picked very sympathetic, important populations to study. Okay. So they studied PTSD people, it's a lot of veterans yes. who have been and treatment resistant. They've been suffering for decades, and and they they experience and I mean they their symptoms are reduced so that they no longer even qualify for PTSD diagnosis. Mm. And to treat terminal patients, who doesn't want to give them everything we can give them to help them mm-hmm. with their own process of dying. Mm-hmm. And their pain is reduced. We don't even know how that happens. Mm. Exactly. We don't know the mechanism exactly for that. So if, if you can actually go onto YouTube and look for videos of some of the subjects from the NYU psilocybin study. And they talk about their experience. And, and I think one woman says, well, I was an atheist when I started this, but... <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I've had this experience, and so they the quality of their death is is much improved. So I'm so these assuming, are very sympathetic. I'm I'm assuming these studies are with a therapist who's there while they're well, doing. Well, this is so- part of NYU, so right. yeah, absolutely. Okay, I just so want to be clear. Are, it's not yeah, just people who are morose having being given psilocybin and good well, luck. The, you know, let me add another caution. Please. So, you know, the NYU studies with licensed good. therapists, good psychologists, social workers, psychiatrists, um, and and it's a and this and the uh, you know there's an intake, there's a preparation of a couple of sessions. There's uh, the sitting, and then there's uh, what they call integration sessions where you kind of debrief and debrief. go over and talk about what it all means. And there are therapists who can, there's continuity in the therapists that, who are uh, across this time. And, the, and this time frame may be three months. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been hearing, you know, I'm in the psychedelic world, and I've been he- hearing more who I now call young people, meaning in their 40s, that people are doing journeys alone, home alone. Now, this was, um, you know, a rule never to do because mm. who's there for an emergency or if it's, there can be scary moments, nobody's there to hold your hand or reassure you. Um, but I am hearing m- more of these kinds of examples. And, uh, you know, most of us who are experienced with these entheogens, we're kind of holding our breath hoping there aren't a lot of tragedies and emergency room visits and but you know we don't know what's going to happen as as the medicines become more available yeah and we so know so for instance social- in oh. oregon yes you, please you can do you can be trained to be a sitter if you have you're going to love this if you have a high school education and you do an online training so you know we we're not we don't know how to manage these medicines in our culture. And so we're trying different approaches. I don't want it to be just medicalized, even though that right. is, of course, by far the safest approach, except that, you know, some of the subjects after the three-month study and the the three or four, you know, so-called integration sessions, they right. say, I feel like I need more help to integrate this experience. Well, they're now out of the study. So they're basically told, well, go find a therapist. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are complaints in, in, about the whole the whole range of ways of using the medicines. 
But the, the psychedelic elders who I interviewed, they are using them in culturally traditional ways in a sacred context for psycho-spiritual growth and development. Mm. So it is outside the therapeutic structure that you know I worked in in private practice. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, a transformational approach, but um, it's, it's a whole different approach to yep. using these. Yep. And our, our, our culture, we have to learn how to use these medicines. Right. We absolutely do. I was just, uh, I was thinking about, uh, we now know from the Surgeon General how much uh, social media has a deleterious effect, especially on young people who are addicted to uh, Instagram or TikTok or whatever. Many of them having increased anxiety, depression, and, um, and there's an increase in suicide with young people. And I wonder if anyone's tracking the use of, of psychedelics that, you know, maybe somebody was doing depressed, anxious, doing, doing a trip by themselves. And we then don't know. We don't, we don't know. But we should that, start tracking. Whether this is, just, this is uh, what I'm hearing. Yeah. But we don't know. And, and it means asking someone about their own illegal behavior. So you don't always get honest responses, right? But if if young people are are uh, have taken their own life, maybe this needs to be part of an autopsy and a data collection. Uh, I'm whether... sure, I'm sure they do. They do drug screening if uh-huh. someone does a suicide. I'm sure that's true. But you're you're talking about really younger people and and the depression that comes from uh, social media. And I'm talking about forty year olds, even though I call them young. They're yes. forty. So it's, it's it's a little bit you know apples and oranges, right. but 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 what is truthful? Just as we don't know in our culture how to use the internet and and not suffer with the harm that it can do, we don't really know how to use these medicines. Mm-hmm. And I, and the first thing we have to admit is that we are learning how right. to use them, right. and we need to be uh, wiser about how we use them for ourselves. Right. So we've talked about uh, the NYU study and with PTSD, we've talked a little bit about end of life um, issues that this might be useful with someone who's properly trained and credentialed. Share some more of the the plus sides as you see it, and then we can circle back. Yeah, yeah. Well, think about it. If someone has been suffering with PTSD for decades, Think of all the medical um, expenses they, that they've that has been part of our national health um, budget, and it's the same with alcoholism. Or the hardest drug to kick is, do you know, it's tobacco. I was going to say tobacco. I, I, I held right. myself back, but yeah, it, no, nicot- no, nicotine and vaping yeah. is horrible. And the, and the health consequences and what that costs us as a, as a nation. So, and they're getting amazing results with uh, smoking cessation. That's mm-hmm. at Hopkins. So studies are at Hopkins. Because nothing else has worked, let's face it. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, they do follow-up um, mm-hmm. data gathering. And they check if there's nicotine. You know, they do blood tests. Right. They're not taking people's word for it because everybody right. has stopped smoking. So they actually do the medical testing. And it's the same thing with alcoholism. I mean, if you think of the car accidents and the cost of the medical care for long-term alcoholics. So these, I, I really do see it as a revolution for psychiatry. Mm. But, but we are just learning. Mm-hmm. And what are the best ways to use these medicines? And, and frankly, what are the cost-effective ways to use them? Right. Now, in, in Europe, they have had a tradition of psycholytic therapy. Now that's in contrast to psychedelic. And what that means is you do a lower dose so that your ego remains intact and you can remember more of the journey. Mm-hmm. And, and, and these lower, do- these, this is not microdosing. It's, it's still a, 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 you, a you, you still have a journey. Um, and it's done embedded in a course of psychotherapy. Mm. And so maybe you do a journey once a month. And this and this is over a process of a couple of years. 
And I mean, I would sign up for this immediately. This, you know, this is a therapist's dream as far as I'm concerned, Hmm. but this is a major expense. I mean, just to be in therapy alone for two years is, is costly. And then to have the therapist sitting with you once a month for six to eight hours, it's a very costly privileged approach, but this is the psycholytic approach that they've been using in Europe for, for many years. It's in the in North America, primarily us in the United States, where we go for these, you know, bigger is better. Let's do, you know, psychedelic doses that will, you know, result in an ego dissolution. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the research has been looking at the mystical experience and some of the, and as, as the determining factor for healing. So the elders, you know, who I speak to, uh, uh, they've been saying, you know, we're getting phone calls of people saying, I want a mystical experience as if they're ordering a pizza. Oh, wow. And, you know, they have, this is part of the the education is they have to understand there is no guarantee Mm -hmm. that you, you know, these journeys are unpredictable. And the priority really is to be safe. Right. And and that you can't order up a psychedelic experience or that a bigger dose is not necessarily better. So, it's, so it's, it's so valuable what you're saying, and I didn't know about about Europe, but I just wanted to comment that they have single payer health insurance. So for them, there maybe. it's more cost effective. Maybe to to to, to and they're yeah, actually tracking that. whether it's working or not with people, right. unlike our right. system in the U.S., where right where right. you have 15 minutes to have a session, you know, <laughs> and write a prescription to big pharma. Yeah. And people are not getting what they need. And so many doctors are burning out. That was another thing I learned at this conference. How many, they, they, a lot of people are just burning out and leaving. Um, yeah, well, doctors and, and the nurses even more so. And therapists too. There's a lot of therapists who just can't take it anymore. And so there's the need is greater and there's fewer trained professionals to help them. Right, right. Let's talk about ketamine please, for a moment, because ketamine is legal, and there's a ketamine clinic on every street corner now, pretty much, because mm. it's a big moneymaker mm-hmm. for the owner of the clinic. Um, and ketamine is not a plant medicine. It's, a, it's, a, it's, an, it's an anesthesia that's used mostly with children, mm. but it does, it's a dissociative. It's not the same as the psychedelic. So it, it takes you sort of out of your body, traveling into other realms. And... Uh, it does. Now I have a prejudice, and and it was implicit in my saying it's not a plant medicine. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a drug, mm-hmm. and my prejudice is there are more risks with this, mm. and because it's legal, people are turning to it, and psychedelic therapists can get trained um, more easily in ketamine therapy, mm-hmm. and so a, a lot of the direction is going in 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 that way. To the extent that there are some companies where you can order ketamine by mail, do you know you know about this? No, I don't. You, but I, I really don't know much about ketamine. I do have a very beloved friend whose daughter has had major problems, and I literally just talked with her uh, a couple of days ago and said that her daughter is so much improved from doing ketamine therapy, you know, related therapy. But I really don't know anything about. Well, that's. I mean, that is it. If it's used. Therapeutically, mm-hmm. um, they're really again. I'm saying the same thing. They're just learning how to use it, mm-hmm. uh, but it can kind of break somebody out of a depression within hours. Now mm-hmm. that's that's that will redefine psychiatry. Mm-hmm. So yes, you will hear of these kind of miracle uh, results, um, but when they're mailing. You, you know, you can do, this is not an advertisement. You can do um, a medical intake session on, on Zoom, and then a company will send you ketamine lozenges that you can take. So I know one therapist who had a client who was getting mail-order ketamine, and he wanted his therapy to move faster. So they had sent him a month's supply of ketamine, and he took it all one day. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> So yes, Michael. So this is the sort of thing that's going to happen. And she told him to go. He called her because he was feeling terrible, and she told him to go immediately to the ER. So you know we have to have respect for these medicines, and 
and um, be a little humble about our own learning process of how to use them. So, um, and, uh, you know, there are professionals in ketamine clinics, and so the ketamine is available to them, and there is a risk for abuse of ketamine mm -hmm. that, you know, they can easily do a journey after hours. So, this is a drug that can be very seductive mm -hmm. and abuse is a real risk with it. Yeah. Thank you for educating me and my listeners about this. Yes. But at the same time, if you're very depressed and you can get out of that depression this afternoon, that's a miracle. Mm -hmm. And and even if you need... Uh, you know, to stay, to not fall back into that depressive mode neurologically, maybe you need six sessions within two weeks of ketamine. Mm -hmm. And and admittedly, that can be expensive, but that can knock out a depression. But you're talking about you, people not doing it on their own. Doing no, no, it at, a, with, at a clinic, a doctor or a nurse practitioner has to be present. Thank you. A therapist is usually present. Right. And then, and then maybe you need another appointment monthly for a while. Mm -hmm. I referred someone who had um, a major depressed depression. He had had extensive therapy when he was at Harvard Law School. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, 30 years later, and he went for this kind of approach of an intensive beginning and then spacing it out. And now he says, maybe I go once or twice a year for to the ketamine clinic. Mm -hmm. So I realized I had never experienced this medicine. So, of course, I made an appointment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I had a medical doctor and a licensed therapist, mm -hmm. and I had a ketamine experience, and it was a wonderful experience for me. And I was very clear, I never want to do this again. This is not a sacred medicine in the way that ayahuasca is or that the mushrooms are for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's important to know yourself. And uh, I, was, I was interested in your choice of prejudiced versus biased. Uh, it was a little stronger that to, to yeah. like self-identify that you yeah, you want to go strong. organic, not big pharma. <laughs> if I can use that terminology, <laughs> I'm not always organic, but yes, in this case, <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, having spent a lifetime of healing, do, you know, being a psychologist, doing treatment, doing therapy. Um, any other words of wisdom for our public? Because my experience is people are freaked out, overloaded, uncertain, feel really upset about the polarization politically, but also the the just the rampant corruption in politics and, and the ecological destruction that's happening. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How could we not? What can we do, Rachel? Mm. You, me, and other people who care uh, for the for people. Well, on the all, all I can say is what I'm doing. I'm doing my spiritual job, and for me, I'm 76. Mm. Um, these these books, the listening to ayahuasca, the swimming in the sacred, they they are kind of the fruit of my whole life. Mm. And so it's an it's it's a and and I feel called mm -hmm. to to do this work at this time and to use my whole life experience. Mm -hmm. And it's not like I've had a great easy life. It's you know it's otherwise I wouldn't have been doing therapy or in therapy right. <laughs> for these decades. Yeah. So, but for me, I do feel like this is my calling. This is my spiritual job, and that's all I can do. Mm -hmm. You know. If my spiritual job were to save the whales, then I would be working differently. Right. So let's say there's a 22-year-old listening to this, and they just got their master's, and they want to be a therapist, and they really are feeling called by listening to this interview. Other than reading your two books and listening to your interviews with other people and what 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 advice might you pass on to the younger generation well i i think the advice is is what makes any good therapist and that's do your own work 
And you said it earlier, you know, work in a lot of different therapeutic modalities on yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is what makes a really good psychedelic therapist is lots of psychedelic experience. So I find myself in the awkward position of recommending illegal activity. But I think you really have to know the territory and you have to have done your own work so you know how to hold space in that extraordinary territory. Hmm. So is there not a path where someone can do psychedelics with a licensed therapist and and do it more safely or it has to be done? um... You can go to Holland, you can go to the Netherlands. Mm Mm-hmm. And find there, a therapist and do it there. There are there are training programs for therapists Great. in the Netherlands. Great. Well, that that's a big plus because I'm trying to imagine young a younger you know therapist who um, feels a calling to this to explore and to develop protocols of of wisdom that will actually profoundly help humanity to evolve in a very grounded, you know, loving way, integrated way. And of, and of course, we have trainings here, but they, they can't involve um, the use of the medicines. Psilocybin, the magic mushrooms are legal in the Netherlands. I see. So the, so the, train, the therapeutic training and the experience are, are done in an integrated process. Uh-huh. So do, is there uh, uh, any any sense in the future that maybe, you know, Colorado or somewhere might- Or Oregon. Or Oregon might do trainings other than online courses? Maybe, maybe. Because it seems to me like there should be a really grounded way to learn. Well, we have to grow into that. We have to find our way into that level of maturity and responsibility and and carefulness. Mm-hmm. I I hope I hope we do eventually, but we're it's a very young um, process right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm gonna we're gonna be wrapping up momentarily, but I want to ask you a, you know a question on behalf of somebody who may have had a bad experience with psychedelics and. They're afraid to tell anybody about it. Like, how how could you advise them how to process or unpack or? Well, of course, you're speaking to a lifelong therapist, so of course I'm going to say therapy. But you have to. But go you're not to a practicing ther- anymore, are no, you? No, 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 no. Okay. Don't come to me. Okay. And but you have to go to a therapist who is experienced with psychedelics and understands the territory. Mm-hmm. And the way to find people like that is through your own networking. And there's pretty much a psychedelic society in every city. Hmm. I didn't know and that. And so, yeah. And so this is just a group with a shared interest. It's not necessarily professionals. Mm-hmm. And. Um, and you need to go and and network and talk to people and and you know I I would get when I was in private practice I would get phone calls and they would say you know I'm looking for a therapist do you do EMDR or mm, some specific right. technique right mm-hmm. and I would never answer because <laughs> it's not about the technique right so ask about you have every right to ask a therapist are you experienced yourself with psychedelics. Mm. Mm-hmm. And now I know you're asking them to admit an illegal activity, but you still have a right to ask. Right. And um, you, because you really do need someone who understands how things go wrong mm-hmm. with difficult challenge, what we call now challenging journeys. But what we really mean is a bad trip where the person gets stuck. Mm-hmm. And one of the risks is uh, depersonalization, where they feel like they're kind of disconnected from their life and from the world. Right. And they sort of can't re-engage and get reconnected again. And that can last a long time. Mm-hmm. And yep. so uh, if someone is experiencing even a hint of that, they should not do any, they should stop all psychedelic activity, including marijuana, mm-hmm. and and seek to get help. And I'm glad you mentioned marijuana because cannabis is legal now in Massachusetts where I live uh, and um, a lot of people experience relief 
or from anxiety by taking, um, or, you know, uh, was it gummies or whatever, not just smoking. Right. But um, I've definitely had clients who um, admittedly were smoking way too much pot and then had a break. Then they were watching YouTube radicalization videos and they had like a, you know, psychotic break between the using too much pot and and what they were in putting their brain yeah and, you know i also i also worry about <clears throat> brain development I, you know adolescents i'm sorry to say i sound like an old fogey even to myself is i don't think anything should be used until the person's prefrontal cortex is developed and that's the late 20s yeah, 26, I think, is the, the latest um, number, 25, 26 yeah, for the yeah. average. Yeah, so when you think of all the teenagers smoking dope, it's a little worrisome. Yes, and doing uh, going to raves and <clears throat> doing you know MDMA, ecstasy, et cetera. You know, you know I, I happen to know Timothy Leary's stepson. Uh-huh. Okay, you got, you got the relations, not biological son, stepson. Right. Okay. And he said that his stepfather, Tim, advised him not to take any psychedelics till he was older. Interesting. So, that's right. Even with all the fanfare of tune in, you know, drop out, whatever. He said, no, wait. Yeah. And so I, but are people doing that? And I, you know, I kind of worry about this as well. Yeah. I have to, since you mentioned Larry, I have to say, you know, the CIA and MKUltra were the force that made LSD research happen. And uh, Tim Leary was in the very forefront of that research uh, with LSD. It was not, it, it, it was really a, a drug that they were exploring to create the Manchurian candidate. And it yes, got for out. warfare. Yes, exactly. And that's that's part of my background and 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 research is in the military, you know, state operators who are looking for mind control techniques and et cetera. And um, a lot of harm was done. That's, that's a, that's a tough note to end on. Yeah. So let's, <laughs> let's not end on that. Let's flip it yeah. again and tell, tell us one wonderful story. Yes, I can. Please. So, so the women, you know, in their work with people, they might, they might have a client who comes in once or twice a year. Mm -hmm. um, and so they're working with people who might be using entheogens over a lifespan. Mm -hmm. So here's the story about Albert Hoffman, who was the Swiss chemist who synthesized LSD-25. Okay. He lived to a ripe old age of 102. When he was 97, he did an acid trip. Oh, he had never done it? I thought he oh, did. Oh, no, he had done them before, yeah. but that was his last one. Got it. Okay. <laughs> but, but, but the point is not that that was his first acid trip right. because he spilled it on himself. That's you know, how that's how we discovered, discovered it. it. Right. But that these medicines can be used over a whole lifetime, different stages of life, mm. and they bring different openings and uh, different transformations at different times in life. Mm. And I think that that's very important to know as well. And the women, because they've been working underground, and they know people, um, they've been watching how the medicines unfold in a person's life and in their own lives. Mm. And this is a whole different approach to entheogens than purely a three-month treatment and symptom reduction. Mm -hmm. So there are many different ways to use these medicines. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Rachel Harris, psychologist, swimming in the sacred. Wisdom from the Psychedelic Underground, author of Listening to Ayahuasca. I'm very grateful to you. Thank you so much for sharing your journey, uh, your Thank life you, journey as a therapist, yeah. but who's also been involved with, you know, growing and learning and evolving. And uh, I learned a lot. So thank you so much for this interview. Uh, Thank you interview. very much. Thank you. Let's stay in touch. Okay. Okay. Thank you. That's it for today's episode of The Influence Continuum. I've been your host, Dr. Stephen Hassan. Theme music for the podcast is by Nasser Malik. 
keep up to date with me and happenings that I think are important, please visit my website at freedomofmind.com. There you'll find in-depth articles about cults, mind control, and other relevant topics. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at cultexpert. If you want to develop a comprehensive understanding of these topics, I highly recommend my books, Combating Cult Mind Control, Freedom of Mind, and The Cult of Trump, in that order. These books are a culmination of 45-plus years of experience and will really help you grasp the complex web of undue influence. I have also launched a new nine-hour online course for anyone interested in a deep dive into issues related to recovering from undue influence in all forms. While this course is designed for clinicians, everyone can benefit. If you're a former member, I congratulate you for your bravery and invite you to use the hashtag IGOTOUT and join our online community at IGOTOUT.org. Remember, love is stronger than mind control. And thanks for listening.